Welcome to Standard Sit Down here on this lovely Saturday, April 6th. My name is Will Hopkins. I'm live from Flagstaff, Arizona. I am joined today by Lucas Duffy. Lucas, how are you doing? Doing pretty good this week. That's good. That's good. We have spent yet another hour trying to figure out how to set up our um, our audio. So This time it will be blamed on Will and not Lucas, so that's a plus. I think, I think we can both blame it on Discord. Um, <laughs> I'd rather blame it on your computer. Fair enough. I plead the fifth. Um, <laughs> um, today, Lucas and I are going to be talking some more up-to-date standard, specifically the Mythic Invitational last weekend. Um, and then we'll go into a little bit of what we think about War of the Spark and what the spoilers that we've seen thus far mean for Standard. So, Lucas, um, did you watch the Mythic Invitational at all? Unfortunately, I got a new job. Have not had the time as much as I've wanted to. I watched about three games, so we're just going through deck lists, both of us, pretty much. Um, unfortunately, uh, I haven't been able to find it on YouTube or Twitch. So... And that's a problem for us. But um, overall, looking at the deck lists, it looks like Standard's in a pretty good place right now. There was a uh, there was a lot of really cool decks published. Um, and I'm, I just was happy to see, to be honest with you, Brittany Hamilton, MTG Nerd Girl, um, brought green-blue disruptive aggro. Now, this looks like a fresh take on mono-blue tempo to me. But I really, I, I was a big fan of it. Yeah, so I liked, I feel like there could be more diversity in the top 16. I hated how much uh, there was control-wise with Teferi decks. Uh, Esper was just such such a dominating force in this, uh, de- in the top 16 decks as far mm-hmm. as ratio-wise to everything else. Uh, followed by the red deck and also... Uh, mono white aggro which is nice that we have a variety of decks that are coming in here but i wish we would see some other things other than what we've been seeing in the past couple pro tours and Um, top eights it's not to the point where the uh, metagame was last year around the world championships when 56 percent of the field brought um mono red or red black aggro so I'd say Teamer still has less than a 50% hold on the metagame. Teamer? Uh, Esper has Esper. less than a 50% hold on the metagame, which is a good thing. I'd say it even probably has less than a 25%. You know what? I'll give you that. I'll give you that uh, Teamer also does have less than 75%. Uh, just saying. <laughs> Teamer? So Nexus of Fate not showing up a ton in these. Not showing up yeah. at all. I don't see it at all anywhere. Actually, no, that's not true. I see it. Uh once. I was going to say, it's in there. I believe it only showed up once in the top 16. Don't quote me on that. Um, Esper Acuity showed up quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but So Nexus of Fate, probably it's looking pretty good for um, not you know, getting banned. I think aggro holds it really um, under a... like It really holds Nexus to a very low percentage of the meta because aggro decks are so prevalent right now. And if and aggro just generally beats teamer um, because it doesn't have access to blue or to black or white, which are the two main board wipe colors. I mean, as far as the Nexus ban, which is the first thing we talked about last week, uh, even especially after this top sixteen deck list, it's not going to get banned. Uh, there's almost oh. no way 
the only way I could see get banned, and I haven't been playing too much standard recently. I'm planning on getting back into it, especially now that War of the Spark spoilers have really just started to kick up. Um, but I, it, the only way I can see it getting banned is if it disrupts too much low level play. But I also don't think it's gonna, be, it's going to enough. Yeah, I, I really don't see it um, taking enough of a hold on the metagame at this point, especially with it only having six months left in standard. Um, and with now that we're halfway through War of the Spark trailers, I don't or uh, spoilers, I don't think it's gonna see anything that um, where it's gonna get anything that like is gonna put it even further over the top. No, if but, anything, it's gotten more things against it than it has for it. I agree. Um, I also think that really where it in a lack of a mid-range situation right now you look through these top eight you don't or these top 16 you don't see a ton of sultai mid-range which was very surprising to me that it's in my opinion the best deck in standard um but i i think in a best of one format which is what the mythic invitational was um i think in a best of one format it's really just not you know, it, it's not viable. It brings a lot out of the sideboard to deal with a lot of the decks that were dominant last weekend. Yeah, and what you also know is the sideboards in all these decks contained one of like one copy of a lot of cards instead of repeated copies. Like there's only like all the Esper control decks have save a couple, of course, have one copy of a lot of different cards, such as uh, Conjecture or Settle or Spyglass, and there's not a playset of any one card in sideboards in Esper Control decks. Yeah, and Team of Reclamation, uh, Gregor Skowalski, uh, runner-up at Worlds this year, played Team of Reclamation, and it's a similar uh, it's a th- similar thought process. There, you know, it's a lot of one-ups. Um, in fact, I'm starting to doubt that there wasn't a rule against one-ups, because... There was. There wasn't, I mean, because there are decks that have the sideboard with the two. Uh, for example, where is it... Uh, I, oh, yeah. oh yeah. So, Gabriel Nassif played Gabriel two Nassif played two DBS cover ups and team of reclamation, and two negates. Oh, and two negates. I missed yeah. that one. Oh yeah, two negates right there. Um, so I don't think there was a rule of, more than a rule of one, but it's pretty interesting to see that a lot of them only did play that one copy of a lot of different cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Lucas and I haven't been too up to date on the Mythic Invitational. Both of us have been playing a lot of modern recently. And both of us were working last weekend, so we didn't get a chance to watch a ton of it. Um, but yeah, this I think standards in a really good place after seeing this. I think um, you know after looking at all of the deck lists, and I've looked at you know all sixty four or, or all, what all sixty four players brought to the best of one at least. Um, it looks pretty even. Um, that being said, it's best of one, not best of three. So Nexus wouldn't show up in a best-of-one format, obviously, as it's banned. But I do think that uh, we're looking at a pretty healthy standard environment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, save a mid-range strategy, maybe, that can keep up with you know these control decks. I do feel like the control and aggro decks really just kind of crush a mid-range strategy right now between them. Um, but I do think Soltai is probably the best mid-range deck in standard, and I would argue probably the best deck in standard to be honest with you so i'm really surprised to not see it show up here i mean i disagree with you on the sultai midrange being the best deck in standard uh and i think it does show here i'm almost not gonna doubt that there was 
soul time mid range and top of the two and beyond. But oh, soul time mid range definitely showed up. Yeah, it showed up exactly. It and that's didn't... why I'm gonna have to argue that it's not the best. I think Esper Control has had that pretty firm grip since uh, RNA dropped. They got a lot of good stuff in RNA, like a lot of good stuff in RNA sideboard material as well as mainboard stuff. Uh, yeah. Absorbing one of those, uh, which mm-hmm. is just a complete powerhouse in that deck. I do think that um, wrath. yeah, Reed Duke brought um, Golgari, Golgari as you would expect from Reed Duke. If you're not yeah. familiar with Reed, that man will jam Golgari in any format if it's viable. So he did bring just a straight up Golgari deck. I'm surprised that he didn't bring Soul Time mid range, but uh, yeah, he. He did pretty well getting into the top sixteen. Um, something, someone who's missing from the top eight notably is Autumn Burchett. On who, if you remember, won the last Mythic Championship. Um, I believe Autumn just missed. Um, Autumn didn't play mono blue tempo from the deck lists I was looking at, which really surprised me. She obviously is a master of the tempo deck. Um, and she was, you know, whenever she was in a feature match in the mirror with it, which was actually kind of frequent, um, she just would school other players. And so I was really surprised to see that she didn't bring it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and I wonder if it's a statement that Mono Blue now just has so much hate against it in the metagame. But then Peter Golugowski brought it and, you know, top 16. So I don't think you can say that it's you know, a horrible deck. And, you know, another deck that I didn't really know much about before this uh, invitation even dropped was the Esper Cutie deck. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very interesting deck, um, and I think it probably looks like one of the more fun decks to play as far as Top 16 goes. Of course, that's a very opinional statement. I know there are people that like to play other decks, but... Control. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it has so much different play style to, to what we're used to in the past few standards uh and i thought it was very interesting and i very refreshing to see something like that in the top uh 16 yeah several I times agree. even um it definitely just it seems like a kind of switch up of the control deck um mm-hmm. where you're not necessarily um maybe it's a way of getting like a budget to ferry but also I do think that it could just be, it's just, it just seems like a really good deck. Um, I'm interested to see outside of the acuities if like someone will, you know, change this deck up a lot because looking at the lists right now, it just seems like I'm watching, uh, looking at another Esper control list, to be honest with you. I mean, I guess that's fair. My main thing that stuck out to me was the Mastermind's Acquisition, which is a card that we haven't seen get play. Uh, even though it's a four mana uh, tutor, four mana tutor, uh, and then card from outside the game too, so it's so it's me, yeah, yeah. That so I should specify this: the acuity decks are the ones that you want to see playing one ofs in the sideboard because you're able to go with Mastermind's acquisition and just grab anything that would work mm-hmm. to stop an opponent. You know for sure, you can grab. Your answers to any any deck that needs you can net, you grab your answers to the fairy. To you can the, grab a board 
you can grab a board wipe. You can grab the Immortal Sun if they're playing a Super Friends deck. Mm-hmm. You can grab a Detection Tower if they if they have an active Carnage Tyrant or some way to make them sack the Carnage Tyrant. There are a lot of really good. It's just a good way to get a lot of answers really quickly. And it also opens up. It's sad that it leaves in uh, a few months, but it also opens up the amount of main board playability you have because you can run like the one of Immortal Sun as you see and the two conjectures in the main board without having to worry about needing the third or the fourth because you could grab them if you need them. Yeah. And so that's really the reason to be playing a Masterminds acquisition deck right now is just the versatility. And as we've been stating, we think this is a very healthy standard environment. So Masterminds acquisition isn't necessarily a bad card, and that's probably why it got, you know, the Acuity deck saw so much play is that you can use the acquisition to go find anything. Mm-hmm. To, in a, and from what we've seen, the Mythic Invitational looks like it's been a pretty wide open field. Um, obviously, so the big thing about the Invitational and the difference between that and a Championship is you have a lot of players in an Invitational that won't get the invites to a Championship. Um, essentially, how it works is it's 32 Magic Pro League players, and then eight um, eight uh, top finishers in the arena seasons. And then the last batch of it is streamers that Wizards gets to decide on. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have those super competitive players that, you know, are platinum pros. You're going to be playing some people that might bring a little jank, as we like to call it. Yeah. So or wacky I th- wind guns. Uh, no. Um, I will never watch that stream. Anyway. <laughs> um. But so you see this in like Jessica Estefan. She brought um, she brought Naya Angels, which was a deck that was expected to see a lot of play early on in the um, like early on in last standard, and it kind of just disappointed a little bit. Didn't really fit into the meta, especially with the way the meta like kind of ended up for, uh, falling out. It's just not. It plays too many big creatures against the uh, control decks. To where their three mana answer just becomes too important, but she nav- she played this deck and it you know mm-hmm. it looks great. It looks super fun. I'd recommend playing it. Um, we'll leave a link to all of these deck lists in the uh, in the description below. Great but, work, yeah. work for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the one who's recording, so <laughs> um, also you're the one whose audio never cuts out. So there's that. That is that. Um, but yeah, so you look at these deck lists and there's a you're gonna find the janky one here and there but you know all these players understand magic pretty well so they know what they're like it's not like you can doubt what they're doing no and yeah like i like we will state at the beginning uh as or wow standard in general just seems to be in a pretty good place uh as far as the diversity of the decks and just the no one deck is going to automatically claim a title yeah you want to know something that i didn't see coming that i saw coming this weekend but a deck that i just really surprises me every time i play against it yeah team of reclamation running expansion explosion as its win con instead of nexus of fate huh yeah i mean i i think expansion explosion is just the better win con as far as that deck's concerned you get the reclamation with the untap uh and the expansion explosion, you can you can just pay into it so many times if you get several wilderness reclamations down that there's no reason 
for for the delay of the Nexus of Fate. Yeah, but I think um, I don't know. I I think that it's really good against a a deck like um, like aggro because you're getting more answers. You're running, you know, you're running. You're gonna have a clock that you can put them on, right? Yeah, I think. Well, I also just think that expansion closing is way more just a, a diverse win con and a way better. I just hard to have in any situation because you can copy any spell. In such a control heavy metagame, though, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of it. Is what I'm trying to get at here. Like, I guess that's fair. Because um, the Nexus of Fate just isn't. The Nexus of Fate, when it gets countered, will get put back in your library, and you can find it again. If you expansion explosion, and it's your one win con. And don't get me wrong, you can run Nibmizzet in the decks that run Expansion Explosion too, and you'll be fine. But if, like, I Explosion you and you Disdainful Stroke me, I've just used one-fourth of my win cons. Mm-hmm. Which, well, I guess you that's know, fair. Yeah. Not to say that it's a bad deck, obviously. It's seeing play at some of the highest competitive levels of Magic. I, I, it just surprises me every now and then. Um, but I do think that in a control, if you're playing in a control heavy metagame, I'd rather run the Nexuses. And if you're playing in an aggro heavy metagame, I'd rather run expansion. Mm-hmm. That's that's fair. But I I I think the versatility of it just makes is probably the reason that a lot of decks are playing it right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you ready to move on from this then? I'm ready if you are. All right. Let's move on to talking about. War of the Spark. This is going to be a huge talking point for the next couple of weeks from me and Lucas. Um, we've gone through about a week of spoilers at this point. We have quite a few Planeswalkers spoiled. Still some left. I want to point to out, out it's been exactly um, a week of spoilers. Um, the first spoiler was a Johnny's Pride Mate on May or March 30th, uh, which was exactly one week ago from today. I don't think that's right, but okay. Well, according to... MTG Salvation, which posts the date of the spoilers. Okay, fair enough. Um, so, Lucas, anything standing out for you in terms of spoilers here? Like any of the... <laughs> yes. Okay, let's take talk me through it. So, uh, I have several things that stand out to me by a pretty high margin. First off, there's already an infinite combo figured out. There's already a turn to win figured out using spoilers from the set. Um, and it's just kind of... I just... I'm excited for this, and I'm excited for it in standard. This set looks busted in standard, anyway. <laughs> it looks super fun in standard. Um, I'm the I'm... kind of person that wants to find the not meta ways to win, and recently I've been trying to get Simic Ascendancy to work, and seeing Proliferate as one of the spoiled abilities is a major oh, plus side so for me. I was when I saw that. I was, oh, Proliferate is such a good mechanic to put in here. I think by far one of the best cards, uh, we'll get to Planeswalkers in a little bit, I imagine, but one of the best cards that's spoiled so far actually happened yesterday, and it's Neoform, and oh my god, I see so many applications for this. So take us through Neoform. So Neoform is Simic Colors, it's one green and one blue, and it's a sorcery speed spell with an additional cost of sacrificing a creature. It's basically Vanifar effect, but... You add the creature into the battlefield with the 1-1 counter on it. So the turn to win, uh, I'll get into it later probably. And what it involves is sacrificing, playing a land of War Elves turn 1, sacrificing the land of War Elves to the Neo form, and playing 
incubation druid with the plus one plus one and also using the Samets uh gosh, what is it called? It's oh, it's okay. like Samet's run or something like that. It's the the spell associated with Samet. And it gives it plus two Sam plus one sprint, in haste. Yeah, yeah Sam Sam it's sprint. I was close. <laughs> uh, and it gives creatures plus two plus one in haste, and you can scry, and so you can tap the incubation druid immediately for three mana on turn two. And I just think yeah, so you just get that having move. ability to you just that, get yeah. lotus effect, which is awesome. Exactly. And it is basically a free uh, drop too, because you have the elf that you can tap for the mana and then sacrifice. Yeah, so Neoform does look great to me. Um, and that's only one of its many applications, of course, but I was just, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so appalled by that. It might put Simic over the top. Simic seems to be one of the color combinations that's really getting, you know... Slept on? Yeah, no, that's getting put, like, in oh, pushed? Yeah, yeah. Pushed in limited, at the very least. We'll talk about that on Tuesday. Um, Hopefully this Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Schedule is um, aligning. But yeah, so Neoform really does seem like it could be just a huge menace and standard for the next two years, um, depending on, you know, how things develop. Um, if of if course. the metagame stays control heavy, I'm not a huge fan of it. And well, actually, two mana, it could be good, but also you just remove turn two forces the negate, I guess. Yeah. They're gonna yeah. have to choose um, the the what what decks are gonna do, but yeah. yeah. Um, it it really does depend for me on Neoform. I want to see how people want to apply it. If you want to apply it to that turn two win, which don't get me wrong, is very unlikely. The turn two to... win is so unviable. It is a four color deck. It requires a four color deck, and so therefore, I don't think it'll be. Uh, played yeah. or viable we'll see i guess but you know it's it really not very likely you're gonna have all those cards it really just depends on when you're looking for neoform uh -huh. like to neoform i guess is what i'm gonna get at here um i was impressed with dovin's veto to be honest with you now i know last week i said i wanted a supreme verdict effect and i'm disappointed that i didn't get one but dovin's veto seems like it's the next best thing um, even though it can only counter non-target creatures, or non, it can counter non-creature spells, mm -hmm. um, it does seem like it's a, just a pretty good, a pretty good counterspell. Um, you know, you're going to play it in your control matchups and see what happens from there. I definitely like seeing in the past couple uh, sets, of course, we've seen Absorb and now, uh, what's it called, Dovin's what? Dovin's Veto. Dovin's Veto. And we see all these uh, newer uh, counterspells, or I guess Absorb is not newer, but you know what I mean, like more diverse counterspells that have more diverse diversity except for just, oh, counter this. And I like I love being able to see these in uh, standard and seeing where they go. And I like that we're not, that we're seeing like three mana counterspells that yes. don't, obviously doesn't apply here, but I like that we're seeing like not cancel effects. You know, um, cancel is... A blue is blue blue and one for just straight up counter target spell i like that we're seeing cancel but you also get this little bonus which is really nice um it you know change it allows the meta to be a little different um mm -hmm. and you know if you play 
for example, if you're playing an Esper control deck and you're running Absorb, you're going to play matchups differently than a Is It control deck that's running Ionize, which is, yes. you know, a huge... That it, it really makes it... If I learn one thing, playing control mirrors... Um, uh, Lucas knows that I am a seasoned control player. I love playing control decks, thinking about all of the things that you can, you know, all of the possible outcomes for everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but playing control mirrors has definitely gotten a lot more interesting because you have to... It used to be you can learn with Scarab God in the format, for example, when blue-black control was a big was like a big player, you could learn that one control matchup and it would be the only control matchup you'd ever play. Um, Whereas now I have to learn how to deal with, you know, Niv-Mizzet and Teferi and, you know, have those in two separate decks and be worrying about it. Yeah. For sure. I think that's a very great thing to have into this format. Yeah. And hopefully continues going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, any cards specifically stand out to you? Because if not, I have a couple more to go over. But I want to see what you think about these. Oh, I have a ton. Um, I'd like to say that I think... Lucas, do you remember Battle for Zendikar? The, um, the, Gideon, the Winter of Gideon, where Gideon, ally of Zendikar, was just you know the best card in standard for oh, a while. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Gideon is once again the best card in standard. Gideon Blackblade I feel is going to be the best card in standard for the next couple of months Um, so if you're not familiar with Gideon Blackblade he is one white white for legendary planeswalker Gideon as long as it's your turn Gideon Blackblade is a 4-4 soldier creature with indestructible and is still a planeswalker prevent all damage that would be dealt to Gideon Blackblade during your turn plus one up to one target, one other target creature you control gains your choice of Vigilance, Lifelink, or Indestructible until end of turn. And minus six, Exile target permanent. He starts with four loyalty. Non-land permanent. Very important, uh, actually. Excuse me. I think Gideon could is going to be one of the big players in Standard. I think, I think he's going to put the mono-white aggro decks over the top that we've been seeing for these past couple of months since... Pro Tour uh, Guilds of Ravnica. I think he's going to slip right into the Azorius deck, probably taking a Johnny's place. And here's the thing that... Here's why I say he's going to be the best Planeswalker in Standard. Normally, one of Gideon's abilities is to turn into a creature, but you have to activate it, and it takes up his activation for the turn. This Gideon is automatically a creature. If you, If you... And then you get to activate another ability. And frankly, I'd be okay if it was an uncommon with that ability and the plus one and nothing else. Here's my issue with him. Uh, Well, I I think that he's really good. On three mana to come in with four loyalty, that's just pretty A-okay. His plus one is is pretty decent, and his minus six is uh, probably telling... Not going to say too much, but probably telling towards the story a little bit. Um... And my issue with him is the keywords on the during your turn uh, that he's only a 4-4. I wish you could apply effects to him during your turn or during your opponent's turn with 4-4s, giving target creature something or other. Um, It would make him way more versatile. I know they're doing a lot of creature and planeswalker cards in here, but 
including in the past. Uh, it's just, I don't feel like he's going to be that much of a threat in the mono-white deck specifically either, because he takes up that three spot, which is wanting to go on the uh, Marshall almost every time. And, or the history of Benalia. And, like, or the history, yeah. It takes up the history or the, or the Marshall spot, and that's not something that you want Gideon to do like those cards are some of the best cards in that deck, and they propo are proposed. Uh, no, they push that deck to the point of winning almost in most cases, especially history. And also, Marshall is way up there too, giving everything plus one plus one mm -hmm. in that deck. But I think that his versatility on the plus one is just going to make him good enough on turn three, and then he's going to just like all planeswalkers, just over time, just going to acquire more and more value as you go through the game. If you don't deal, if your opponent doesn't deal with Gideon on turn three, then you're swinging in for four next turn with an indestructible, can't be dealt damage or whatever. You know who when, I think is a better version or a better three mana planeswalker that's white? Teo, because Teo gives you hexproof. Teo does give you not, hexproof, and, and I think it's not just during your turn. Mm -hmm. I think he'll be good in some decks for that reason. But I don't think he's going to be, you know, great throughout the entire... I don't think he's a great Planeswalker all around. I think, you know, I don't want him... I don't want him in the control mashup. Because mm -hmm. he's not helping me put pressure on anybody. I don't want him in the mid-range matchup because he's not... You know, he's creating the zero three walls. Sure, he creates two of them. Maybe he might create two of them. I should say. Yeah, he's just not great. And two lightning strikes takes care of him. I will say one thing I don't like is um, this is just all around, not just Teo and not, but Teo is a great example of this. Is the planeswalkers that are having um, minus abilities uneven. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. So they have five loyalty minus twos. And I get proliferates in the system or in the in the set. And I get like, oh, that'll bring him up to six, whatever. But not every deck is going to run proliferate, if many at all. You know, Simic Ascendancy, I want to run it, of course. But having them at five makes them almost feel kind of useless. If they were even at six and you could use that ability three times, I feel like that'd be so much better. Than... But the thing is, they want you to be able to keep around the, um, the, the effect. Uh, the effect, yeah. Like well, putting him at one them. is just such a risk, anyways, with how much damage there is in the set that can oh, go right. to planeswalkers or anything else. Every fucking, or every time. Yeah. Um. Another card that stands out really to me. I don't know how well it'll do, but I know that I want it to do well. Is Massacre Girl. Yes. Um, <laughs> Massacre Girl is. Three colorless and two uh, two black mana. Has menace, is a 4-4, four, four, and when it enters the battlefield, each other creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. And whenever a creature dies this turn, that effect happens again. So each creature gets minus one, minus one, except for Massacre Girl. So basically, you play Massacre Girl. If, it, if they're running any 1-1s, they all die. Every time one of them dies, that effect happens again. So if they're running four 1-1s, and a 5-5. Five, five. Mm -hmm. The effect happens when she enters the battlefield. The effect happens the first time, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time when the fourth one dies. That 5-5 five, five is dead. It Massacre Girl, I agree. Legendary creature, you forgot to mention, but... Legendary creature, human assassin, yes. As if that matters. Rare, um, rare rarity. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to see this in limited a ton. It's 
probably more of a constructed card. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely just seems like a really good card. Agreed. Um, and again, I don't know how well it's going to do because we don't have no idea. War of the Spark is adding 36 Planeswalkers. All of them are going to have static abilities um, that do very different things for the most part and have, honestly, way more diverse uh, loyalty abilities than I thought they were going to have after seeing these spoilers. Yeah. And we also see good rares and good uncommons and good commons. It's going to be a wild ride when War of the Spark finally drops. Mm-hmm. I believe they also mentioned that there are going to be six uncommon Planeswalkers. Don't quote me on that, but I believe... Or six Mythic Planeswalkers, excuse me. I thought it was 11. That was... Or is it 11? 11 are main to the story, I know that much. Yeah, I think they announced... Because Jace is a rare, and he's obviously going to be huge in the story. We don't know that. We don't know that. (laughs) I think they announced that six are getting Mythic treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, Not including Tezzeret, Master of the Bridge, by the way. Um, I'm not oh, interested. That, that's in one of the dual deck ones, isn't it? No, it is. Um, it is the buy a box promo. Oh, buy a box promo. Oh, ew. Yeah. So just mentioning that because it's the buy a box promo. It's not going to show up in limited or anything. We'll get to that later. Um, what are you, what is the next card you want to go over? Let's go with this first. Um, I wanted to go over an uncommon. Um, that I think doesn't just have an impact on standard. Doesn't just have an impact on modern. I think this card could see some legacy play. Liliana's Triumph. Huh. Now, Liliana's Triumph is one generic and a black for an instant that reads each opponent sacrifices a creature. If you control a Liliana Planeswalker, each opponent also discards a card. Now, the big thing that this card does is each opponent sacrifices a creature for only two mana. Um, there's a card called Diabolic Edict in Legacy that... Um, or, well, it's what we call an edict effect, pretty much, which is making your opponent sacrifice a creature. And two mana, playing this for two mana is definitely not common. Um, the only other effect that there are two other effects that this comes to mind with for me in standard, and it's Vona's Hunger and uh, Eldest Reborn. Hmm. And especially with this getting the uncommon treatment, I think it's actually going to be pretty okay. And it's almost a it the if you have a Liliana Planeswalker card, um, each opponent also discards a card, makes it that much better. Like it, Liliana's run Riot in every format. You see them in every format, not vintage, but they you know they're pretty good. They're pretty big pieces of just about every format that they're in. Liliana, the Last Hope, and Liliana. Of the uh, Liliana of the Veil, both see play in modern and to an extent legacy. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty good cards. Agreed. Uh, especially, I feel like it can see play in modern too, depending on. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, it really depends because we're going to have to see how everything settles down, of course. But Liliana of the Veil being played, Liliana, uh, the Eldritch Liliana, whose name I never remember Black being played. Blackout. Dope. Uh, whatever. Hope Liliana. Yeah, um, but all of them getting played is kind of uh, going to be an interesting kind of environment, I guess. I agree. I agree. Um, next card that I wanted to go over, if I can find it again, is 
Philippe the Lost. No, I'm kidding. Um, Philippe yeah. the Lost, if anything, is probably going to see more play in Commander. Uh, people are wanting to. I've seen a lot of decks or a lot of people talking about wanting to play him as a Commander because that'd be fun. And we're not going to disagree. Yes. Before we move on, you need to pronounce his name correctly. According to Mark Rosewater, who I believe is the foremost expert on Ravnica pronunciation, it is Fubblethup. Fubblethup? Okay, Fubblethup. Did I call him Philippe? I'm gonna. I'm just going to call him Philippe. He's Philippe now. Um, <laughs> Philippe the Lost. So there are two cards I wanted to talk about next. Um, not because they have anything to do with each other, just because I wanted to talk about them. The first one I'm going to talk about is something that's very disappointing to me, and it's Niv-Mizzet Reborn. Oh boy, I'm disappointed in this card. He has a cool name. He's five colors. He's a six-six flyer. But he's just not going to be worth playing that or splashing those five colors because the the land that gives you colors for anything right now is only for Planeswalkers. The one that is dropping this set, it's the... Uh, oh, gosh. Interplanar Beacon, I believe. Interplanar Beacon. And it's just not going to help him get anywhere, yep. which is disappointing. What? Interplanar Beacon. I was correct. I yeah, was just yeah. thinking right. So when is that he's one of every color, and when he enters the battlefield, reveal the top ten cards of your library. For each color pair, choose a card that's exactly those colors among them. Put the chosen cards into your hand and the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. Now, don't get me wrong. This next thing I'm about to say might be broken. It might be overpowered. But the fact that they go to your hand and not the battlefield makes this card very disappointing. Um, mm -hmm. I agree. Sure, it has the chance to fill up your hand again, but also there's the chance you miss. Uh, or there's a chance you only hit one color pair, or you know, not like because I don't think this includes monocolor cards, right? It does not. Yeah, it has exactly. To be so you'd have to be running a, like almost full gold deck for this to be really worth it. And I don't think there's enough gold cards that work well together from different guilds uh, that is going to make this card worth it. And it's just kind of probably a commander thing, if any. I agree. I don't think it's it. It certainly isn't. Um isn't standard playable um even though it's a five mana six six we have doom whisperer in the format and doom whisperer isn't played to a ton so well, doom, you know, yeah 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 it's it's just a doom whisperer body minus the trample and then an effect that minus the trample plus four more colors yeah and then an effect that is kind of underwhelming i think it's standard it's going to be underwhelming i'm interested to see if somebody can make it work but uh I'm not keeping my hopes up for it. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not bashing on the card itself. We, I have no idea how it's going to do in, like, a commander setting or anything like that. I'm just saying, standard-wise, very disappointing. Especially because it's Niv Reborn. Ugh. Um, the next card I wanted to talk about, which I wanted to talk about right because it's right next to it, is Nico Bolas Dragon God. <sighs> Collective Sigh. Um, I think he's going to be really good in Limited, or really fun in Limited, at least. Um... His static ability... Oh, okay, I guess I'll go over his mana cost first. He's three swamps, one mountain, one island, and he's legendary planeswalker Bolas. Four loyalty enters the battlefield, which already is kind of not the best start. He's a five mana planeswalker with four loyalty. Um, but his static ability is he has all loyalty abilities of other planeswalkers on the battlefield. In limited, that's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. In standard, we have no clue as far as the static ability is concerned. Because we don't know what ones are going to see play and which ones aren't. And if it's like a... How do I... Because he only has a plus one. Nico Balls only has a plus one. And his yeah. ultimate, which is actually not that bad, is... 
is minus eight, and he only has four loyalty to start with. So if oh, they're not playing any Planeswalkers, you're not going to get that minus eight. That's basically how it's going to go. And it has to be a Planeswalker that has a plus two ability or more. That the, that Lucas, take him through the ability process real quick, if you will. Yeah, so his plus one is draw a card, and each opponent exiles a card from their hand or a permanent they control. Definitely not a bad plus one, but it's not worth the five mana, in my opinion, to get it down and maybe use it once because he only has four loyalty. Um, his minus three is destroy target creature or planeswalker. Makes sense. He's bolus. Um, minus three, pretty standard, actually. Um, I love that. Makes sense. He's bolus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, his whole point story-wise is killing everybody. But then his minus eight, which is really cool effect. I love it as a win con, but it's just with him only having a plus one and starting at four loyalty, a minus eight win con isn't very viable. And his minus eight set reads, each opponent that doesn't have a creature or doesn't control a legendary creature or planeswalker loses the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this because it doesn't include legendary enchantments, legendary uh, artifacts or anything like that. It's just creature or planeswalker that are legendary. Which there are a lot of relevant, there are a lot of relevant legendary enchantments and artifacts. And standard right for now. sure I agree. for sure and sagas i i mean i guess and then it doesn't include sagas and things like that mm-hmm. um but i it's no, really but you disappointing yeah yeah you know the, the all the flip lands uh i mean all, not all of them see play of course but the ones that do um and then our goal is blood fast is coming out as soon as war of the spark drops for me yeah and so it's very disappointing that he only has a plus one because you're not going to get there. That's that's four. That's five turns to use his ultimate. And if somebody doesn't take take care of him in any way by then, even with all the counter spells in the set, even with all of the Grixis control stuff you can pull off, it's it doesn't help you with control um, as much as you'd want it to. And it's it's just not viable to get the five turns off. Mm-hmm. I agree. Five turns is a long time. Yeah, I I really just don't. I was very underwhelmed with this bullet. I feel like I'd rather play the flip one, to be honest with you. Oh, I agree 100%. Yeah, I, especially in control. Especially in control, I'd rather play the flip one. Don't worry, I am playing the flip one anyway, so we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so a card that I know Lucas and I have been talking about a lot with the rest of the members of Caffeine Overdose, um, Jake Westwood is in particularly excited about this one. Cruel Celebrant. Oh, so that's not where I thought you were going cool. with that. And this is something that Lucas and I didn't see coming. Last week, obviously, we talked about new strategies that we think War of the Spark could bring out. And neither of us brought up a deck like this, but I do think that it's in a good position. If it gets, like, one or two more pieces um, in War of the Spark, and we're not even halfway through spoiler season yet, so it's not out of the question. Mm -hmm. So Cruel Celebrant is white-black. Whenever Cruel Celebrant or another creature or Planeswalker you control dies... Each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. Now, this goes into a for into a uh, deck that we call Aristocrats. And basically, the point of Aristocrats is sacrifice everything, you and make your opponent like lose life throughout the course of a game, acquire value um, through creature di- creatures dying, and yeah, um, this was a really big deck back in Shadows over Innistrad when Westvale Abbey was in standard. Westvale Abbey being of a a cre- uh, land that flipped when you paid five mana and sacrificed five creatures. Um, it relied on an Eldrazi Scion tokens and Zulaport Cutthroat, which is a- another two mana creature that has the same effect minus the Planeswalker. So 
this is a deck that we've seen before and mind you it includes another color that wasn't used in the deck though for the most yeah this one's looking more like it'll be mardu whereas the old one i believe was just straight up uh green black but the mana base is better here in like right now in standard to a point where mardu probably has a plate like it it has the mana base to be okay Mm -hmm. um i want to go over a couple cards or at least one card that uh is probably not printed for standard and uh might see play outside of standard, but it, but it is in the spoilers. Is Tomic the distinguished advice or advocate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it is two white, has flying as a two three, which the flying makes zero sense to me. He's a legendary creature, human advisor, um, and lands on the battlefield and land cards in graveyards can be the targets of spells or abilities your opponents control, and mm-hmm. your opponents can't play land cards from graveyards. Uh, it plays around like. Scape Shift and um, Crucible of Worlds for modern playables. For yeah, modern play. and then modern play, it also plays well against... Uh, I can see it. I can only kind of see it, I guess. Um, there are definitely better picks for uh, against Dredge with the loam, Life of the Loam. Because uh, mm-hmm. if they can't target them to Fizzles, and I mean, that doesn't really affect them too much, but I know decks that lose to so them getting the lines back. There's better things. Yeah, no, there are way better things. Um, yeah. It's just but, not a. It's hard. That's not printed for standard, and I don't think it will see any play yeah. to begin with. It, so Lucas and I <gasps> both have been playing standard for a very long time. Did you just sigh? No, no, no I just gasped because I remembered something I wanted to talk about. Keep going. <laughs> uh, I'll finish up the thought. Lucas and I have both been playing standard for a very long time, and there are cards that are clearly printed that are good, but clearly not for standard. So yeah, let, Tomric is definitely one of them. Just if you're looking to get into modern. It might be, it might be worth checking Budget out sideboard, in a death and taxes type strategy. But it's not, it's it's not something you should be looking at for standard. If you hear hype around it, don't chime in about its irrelevance in standard because that's not what we're hyped about for it. We're hyped about, about it in modern. Um, All right, Lucas, what do you want to talk about? I know this isn't standard, but I really am excited about this for limited. It's Banehound. It's one mana. It's black one mana. Um, one black mana, of course. One one with lifelink and haste, and I oh my god, the relevancy of starting at twenty one life and your opponent starting at nineteen, and you have a creature out is amazing. Sorry, that's all I wanted to say about it. But we'll see you on Tuesday for uh, time limit limited, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, okay, I have another card that I'd like to talk about actually. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can, oh yeah, so. There was there's a planeswalker. There are a few pl- mythic planeswalkers spoiled right now, um, but kind of the one that I've been seeing floating around the most, and Wizards is clearly like pushing it. If you saw the trailer for War of the Spark, first of all, if you haven't seen the trailer for War of the Spark, it is epic. You need to go check it out right now. After this video, after you finish listening to us, of course. Secondly, Liliana Dreadhorde General. Now, Liliana clearly appears to be, like, the centerpiece of this story based on everything that we've been getting from Wizards. I argue Liliana, Gideon, and Nicobolas, but yeah. Um, Liliana is black, black, and four. Her static ability is whenever a... Or, it's an activated ability, but it is whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card. It's also static, because it's just permanent, basically. Plus one, create a 2-2... Black zombie creature token. Minus four, each opponent sacrifices two creatures. 
Minus nine, each opponent chooses a permanent they control of each permanent type and sacrifices the rest. So that's a cataclysm effect. Mind you, that's not even non-land permanents. That includes oh, land. They go down to one land. So Everyone. that's a yeah. cataclysm effect, which is iffy depending on the format. Um, cataclysmic Gear Hulk was a was one of the, was one in the Gear Hulk cycle. If you played Kaladesh, that didn't see a ton of play, and it's because it just wasn't super relevant in that format. Um, now Liliana. I think in this format it's going to be a little more relevant, but there's also a variety of different um, permanent types seeing play right now. Like every permanent type is relevant except tribal. So I think you're. Um, I think Liliana could see a lot of play, or I think I think the ultimate is good is what I mean to say. I don't think Liliana's going to see a lot of play. Um, I think for six mana, you're not getting what what you want. I was going to say kind of something along the same lines. I think if she was a five mana planeswalker with five starting loyalty and the, it was a minus eight and a minus three instead, she'd be great. She'd be pretty fitting. Uh, we've seen Liliana's like this do good in the past, um, and I don't think it'd be broken. I don't think it'd be. Um, and I don't think it'd be weak. I think it'd be perfectly fair and balanced because. The whenever a creature control dies and draw a card, really helpful for getting that ultimate off because you get more fuel and more responses to protect your Liliana. I should say that my immediate reaction to seeing that was holy crap, that's good. But also, then I saw that it was six mana. The six mana is really turn is a real big turnoff for it, um, unless we see like a Golgari or a not Golgari, uh, Soltai, Soltai, Ramp. Am I thinking Soltai? I'm not thinking Soltai. What colors are you thinking? I'm thinking uh, Simic and Black. What? Simic and Black. Sultai. Sultai. I am thinking Sultai. Right. Um, if we see a Sultai ramp deck, there's a chance that Liliana's going to be in there. Uh, getting this Liliana on turn two or three, uh, not bad for sure. Uh, and actually <laughs> pretty pretty relevant. You get a 2-2 um, for a couple turns and then they trade and if they block, chump block even, you'd get that draw card. That's pretty great for a ramp deck. Mm -hmm. But that's the only implication I really see her seeing the play in the standard format. Um, yeah. Other than in some other weird decks, I guess. Yeah, I just don't think she's going to see that. She's see any play, to be honest with you. Um, I'd like to take a second here to talk about a mechanic, if that's all right with you, Lucas. Of course. I wanted to do that in a minute anyways. Do you know what mechanic I'm talking about? Uh, well, there's only two you can really be talking about, so I'm going to guess a mass? Yep, I want to talk about a mass. This mechanic makes me so mad. I will not lie. This mechanic is... It feels like it's the bane of my existence, to be honest with you. And why is that? Well, so for starters, even in limited, I'm not super excited for it, but since we're on standard sit-down, I'll talk about standard. It's one creature. And there are very few times where one creature is going to make a huge difference. I've heard a lot of people saying that they think a mass is going to be really good in standard. I disagree with all of them. Um, I listened to Brad Nelson say, oh, it seems like it's going to be a fine, pretty good mechanic. And then I was like, okay, well, it's Brad Nelson. He's smarter than me. I'll go look at it. And now I can officially say, I disagree with Brad Nelson on something. I think... 
just the fact that it's one creature and it, you're just pouring all of your resources into one creature, and that's never a good idea. You want to have as many win conditions as possible. And it doesn't feel like it wants to be in a control shell based on the cards that say a mass. Um, it just doesn't seem viable to me, to be honest with you. And if there's a specific card I have to go with, it's Dreadhorde Invasion. Dreadhorde Invasion is one black and one. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life in a mass one. If you're not familiar with what a mass is, it's put a plus one plus one counter on an army creature you control. If you don't control one, create a zero zero black zombie army creature token and then continue. Whenever a zombie token you control power sticks or greater attacks, it gains lifelink until end of turn. Now, Dreadhorde Invasion has been getting a lot of comparisons to Bitter Blossom. A lot. It, it's not Bitter Blossom. It creates one token. Not. It doesn't give you the ability to, you know, create a ton of chump blockers. It creates one. I think what people are misreading into uh, into this this card is that. And the reason it's not Bitter Blossom, I guess I should say, is because you can't create the token if you already have an army. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's I completely agree. And I think and, people are reading it as Bitter Blossom, where you can create the 1-1 token if you don't want to put it on the MS. You can't. No, that's not how it works. You have to... You do not get a second army. So... I mean, you can have a second army if you already had the uh, another army card. I don't even know if there are any creature types with the sub thing army right now there are that was an intentional decision that there were not oh there are there not are there are not in magic's history damn well there we go you heard it here first folks actually maybe maybe not i don't know no they announced last week that that was an intentional decision was so that you would have to use the amass mechanic on an army on these armies and there's just not a good enough payoff to put all of your resources into one creature in any strategy. There um, haven't been. My, my thing is, it's not better. It's definitely not better than um, uh, Orzov Death Ability. Afterlife. Afterlife. Yeah. No, it's not better than Afterlife. And Afterlife doesn't see play in standard. Yeah. Afterlife can create you more one ones, and sure, you can amass five sometimes. Um, I'm not even sure if that's actually a thing, but. The the amount of a mass you see on most of these cards is like one, maybe two or three. And sure, you have the one that can happen every turn, but that's a one-one counter every turn on one creature for mm -hmm. one life. That's... Yeah. Uh, I, I can't get behind anything like that. Um, I, just, I just can't. It's not going to be something that pushes any sort of deck into a format it's not going to help any deck it's not going to create its own deck that's going to cease play i just can't support it mm -hmm. all also, right another issue real quick on a mass it spans too many colors is another thing all the good cards are different color sets uh you have the black one which is the enchantment you have the blue white one you have all these other ones that aren't um aren't the same colors and isn't gonna uh, Blue-red, I think you mean. Invade the city. Blue-red. Did I say blue-white? You said blue-white. I totally meant blue-red. Um, and Grixis is... The, I guess it's just Grixis, but still. like A mass in a Grixis deck isn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I. 
I'm just not a fan of the mechanic as a whole. Mm-hmm. All right. We're getting to a time where we should probably be wrapping up. But Lucas, let's go through one more card each. Tell me something else. You, Another card that catches your eye. I mean, technically we've had... We've only been ongoing for 40 minutes, but um, I, one more card. I want to talk about the other. Can we talk about the other uh, mechanic first? Okay. Need Let's talk about it. I want to talk about proliferate because I think that it's going to do great in oh, standard and in limited. Um, and oh my God, <laughs> the amount of proliferating cards we're seeing. Uh, there was one spoiled today, uh, Evolution Sage. I guess it was over a day ago at this point. Um, but it's whenever it's Landfall Proliferate. Yep. There's the one that when it dies, proliferate twice. It's oh gosh. The one where it, it gleaming it's... overseer. No, that's the. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyways, there's the one where when it dies, uh, you uh, proliferate, then proliferate again. And a card in standard currently that I think is going to be really benefited by this is Galloping Lizrog. <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. No, I'm, I, I just, I, I, the name, I'm going to be honest. It's just the name Galloping Lizrog. Cause if you have three creatures out and they all have a plus one, plus one counter, which it's not going to be hard to get plus one, plus one counters on things in this set. Let's be real. And you proliferate. That means you have six counters to put onto Galloping Lizrog when it enters the battlefield. Yeah, you pull for it again. That's nine. Mm-hmm. It's just I, I'm I'm in love with this mechanic. <laughs> um, one more each, you say? Okay. Yeah, do it. You go first. Uh, okay. Um, let's see here. I I have a list that's a lot longer. I was expecting this to take a lot less time. Um. Let's go with Teferi. All right. Teferi Time Reveler. Now, Teferi costs for one blue and one, uh, one blue, one white, and one. Each opponent can't cast or can cast spells only any time they could cast a sorcery. Until your next turn, cast sorcery is as if they had flash. And then uh, the plus one is that's the plus one. The minus three. Return up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment to its owner's hand. Then draw a card. Comes in with four loyalty. And so Lucas and I last week, we kind of agreed that the Esper Control deck was where it wanted to be. Um, It wasn't going to throw in another Planeswalker. And then this got spoiled, and I was like, well, crap, now I'm wrong. Um... The Esper Control deck is going to want Teferi in the sideboard. Maybe a one of in the main board replacing the Kaya. But that's really going to depend on meta, um, aggressive meta versus controlling meta. Um, wait, 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 wait. Hold up one second. What deck are you watching that is playing Kaya? The uh, Kaya from the last standard. From. You mean Kaya Urzov or Usurper? Is that the RNA one? I believe so. Then uh, yes. Deals damage to target play equal to the number of cards. Yeah, no, in exile? Yeah. How many of what? them are running that? I don't see many running that at all. <laughs> I guess one. Running one of Kaya. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um, but I think you can bring in the Teferi in their place. If you're in a control-heavy meta. It just stops all of your stuff from getting countered. 
I'd get into counter war over this guy. It means I don't have to deal with counter magic for the rest of the game until he's dealt with. And then I, unless you're going to die or you have lethal, like the minus three isn't something that you're going to use a ton. You're just going to use that plus one to cast instant speed board wipes. Mm-hmm. Like it just seems like a huge player in Esper control. I, I agree. I think he will see play. Uh, I definitely don't think he's as good as the other one. Uh, oh. Of course not. Uh, the other one is just, I don't understand why he got so, why he's just so, I mean, I understand why, but like, Hero of Dominaria is just so prevalent that I think being at five mana, even with the four loyalty, and this one being at three mana with four loyalty is just not going to make, it's going to be time, uh, uh, Hero of Dominaria still. Don't even lie, the other one's three mana too. Uh, yeah, fair. The other Untapped one. Lance. Yeah, true. Whoever decided to put that on a Teferi is just... All I'm going to say, I'm glad it's not the static ability on this one. Yeah, true. Um, No, I, I definitely think that the Teferi has a place in standard. I agree. I think he'd be... The only reason I see he'd not, him not seeing a place is that he can't grab his other brother in Teferi when he minus threes. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a smart play by Wizards. Uh, don't get me wrong, but... Uh, I feel like it's more fitting that he would have that on his card. Yeah, but for that, you have Rask's Contempt. And honestly, Lucas, something we didn't discuss last week. Can I bring up one more card that I think is going to start seeing a little more play right now? Sure. Settle the score. Really? So for those of you who don't know, Settle the Score is basically a sorcery speed Rask's Contempt. It's a black, black, and two. For a sorcery, exile target creature or planeswalker. Add two loyalties to a Planeswalker you control. Now, in most scenarios, Rask's Contempt is strictly better. You gain two life. Hmm. This and, is a cyborg card. But Esper Control might start running this if Teferi Time Reveler is relevant because you can A, cast it at instant speed, and B, it's just making your clock that much faster because you're ticking up your other Teferi. Well, and you'd even play it in a mirror match. Uh, it's I think it's definitely a cyborg card. Uh, more than it is a main board. Oh, I agree. Unless, like, Esper Control is just completely dominating the set, or uh, I guess Grixis could be on this list as well. Because I don't think I think those are really the big decks that are going to be playing black, if I'm being honest. Um, I agree. I don't think black has any place in an aggressive meta right now. No, it's just way too controlly. There's so many control cards with it. There's uh, Eldest Reborn, the Cell of the Score, there's Rask's Contempt, Moment of Craving, Fatal... Uh, not Fatal Push. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> but still... But yeah, it's just any card that has black in its mana cost really wants to be in a, in a kind of slowed down environment. Another card that's going to be coming in with that is, is Bulls of Citadel. You know, like I'm curious to see if it makes waves. I don't Bolus of Citadel. <laughs> I don't have the utmost faith in it, but I do think that it's um I do think that it's going to be pretty good. There are two things that we need to go over at the end of this, by the way, because I kind of brought them up earlier after we do this next card. Yeah. Okay, do it. Okay, my last card um, is going to be Krenko. Krenko Tin Street Kingpin. Um, and mainly because it's red and it's a goblin, and that's just funny because... We don't was, talk about red enough. Oh, we, do, we don't. Well, what? what? After this, I have one more red card. I'm sorry. God damn it. Anyways, um, and... Krenko is a three mana creature, three mana one two, and it's two colorless and one mountain. 
and it's a legendary creature goblin. And whenever Krenko Tin Street Kingpin attacks, put a one count, one one counter on it. Then create a create a number of one one count uh, one one red goblin creature tokens equal to the to its power. Um, Kid Spawn tokens. Holy heck! The you know thing, what? Two, two toughness though. Two toughness, yes. Um, but it's one one counter, not gains attack. And no haste. And no haste. That's that's very very fixable in this format. Let's be real here. Um, I feel You're like that's not going to be three. Is all I'm saying. You aren't playing it on turn three, but you didn't play Legion War Boss on turn three either. Yes, I did. Well, you do, I guess. Fair, but Legion's War Bosses. Uh, I think this can take the place of Legion's War Boss, or play in the same deck as Legion's War Boss with the Mentor effect on it. Um, it's just mm -hmm. if it has the Mentor effect, you're getting another two more than you did last turn a turn. Yeah, I think it's good. I I think that it it doesn't want to be in an aggressive strategy, which is going to be a problem for a lot of players. But I think it wants to be in a. Uh, I think it wants to be in there. I would argue that it wants to be an aggressive strategy. It's just a slower form of aggressive, like we saw with, uh, with uh, Rakdos uh, Agro the other not last standard, but or not this standard, but the standard before last. Okay, fair enough. All right, Lucas, I'm I'm just gonna bring this card up because um, I I, I don't think it is gonna see a ton of play in standard. I don't think it's all that good. I think we've seen this effect on a lot of cards, and only one of them has been good, and it was the original. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a card called Dreadhorde Arcanist. And I would like to tell you that this card does not deserve to be called Dreadhorde Arcanist. Dreadhorde Arcanist reads, one and a red for a creature wizard or a creature zombie wizard with trample. Whenever Dreadhorde Arcanist attacks, you may cast an instant or sorcery with converted mana cost equal to less than or equal to Dreadhorde Arcanist's power from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card would be put into a graveyard this turn, exile it instead. Now this is, it's a 1-3, and it's obviously, its first comparison is Snapcaster Mage. So, this card is no longer Dreadhorde Arcanist. I am petitioning that we get this card's name officially changed to Slapcaster Mage. And why is that? Because it's Snapcaster Mage, but you have to hit people with it. <laughs> I don't think that it's going to be that great. Oh, it's not going to see standard play. I guarantee you. It's also, no. If it had haste, if it had haste, there are a lot of cantrips in the set. If it had haste, I could see it, but it doesn't. Yeah, I don't think it's going to see play. Not enough good one mana cantrips, or not enough good one mana spells for me. Yeah, I have cantrips, but why would I want to cast a cantrip when I can just cast two cantrips? Exactly. Um. Okay. Um. There is one more thing that we can't. Lucas, we can't skip this one. We can't. We can't skip this. Fine, go. Tabalt, the most important card in this set, is Tabalt. Yeah, he's crap again. He is. <laughs> <laughs> Tabalt, Rakish Instigator is a three mana Planeswalker with five starting loyalty. Uh -huh. And you know what's so great about him? Uh-huh. He has the Ferocidon ability. Opponents uh -huh. can't gain life. You mean the card that shouldn't have been banned? And it's still banned even though there's literally zero reason and can be played in so many decks right now? And it's, Yeah, no, that's the one I mean. Uh -huh. Which is why Tabalt is going to see more play than any other Planeswalker in this set. 
He creates a 1-1 devil creature token. With When it dies, it deals 1 damage to any target and a minus 2 ability. Yeah, I said I didn't like that earlier. Who cares what I said earlier? We're talking about Tabalt. Okay, my rant's done. I don't like Tabalt at all. He's actually pretty shit. Um, <laughs> so much for keeping this podcast clean. We have both sworn at least four times between you us. You know, it's okay. I didn't put family friendly on the tags. Sweet! Okay. In that case, no. Um, okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk about today is what we think of... Actually, you know what? No, let's keep going with the cards. I'll save that for Time Limit Limited because it feels more relevant there. Lucas... Give me another card. Another card? Oh gosh, I wasn't prepared for this. Okay, I'm gonna give you. Another um, card. the other. Oh, okay. You go first. Nahiri Storm of Stone. Ew, I don't like that one. Oh, I don't either. <laughs> so Nahiri Storm of Stone. Um, it's a card that I think could, like, it's gonna see fringe play, but I don't think it's gonna be very good. Mainly due to its colors. It's white red. It's white red. red two white red hybrid manas. And two generic mana. As long as you, it's your turn, creatures you control have first strike, and equip ability is you activate costs one less to activate. That's the second strike. half is completely irrelevant to standard right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Minus X and a Hiri Storm of Stone deals X damage to target tapped creature. I just don't think she's that good. The protection is limited. Um, she only has six loyalty. So if you destroy their, if they have two three threes, you destroy one of them, you're just dead. On the crackback, if they have two two twos, then Nahiri is completely irrelevant for the rest. And, and other than the static ability, and I don't think the static ability is at all relevant. So, um, other side of that coin, because we know these two are not going to be fighting against Bolas, they're going to be fighting each other. Uh, is Soren Vengeful Bloodlord? Um, he is the way better of the two Planeswalkers, um, both lore-wise and card-wise in this set. Uh, his static is—he's first off—he's uh, white. One white, one black, and two generic legendary planeswalker Sorn with four loyalty starting. And his static is as long as your turn and as long as it's your turn, creatures and planeswalkers you control have lifelink. His plus two, which is why I think he's really good as well, is he deals one damage to target player or planeswalker. The plus two will be really relevant, I think, in this set with the plus with the damage to planeswalkers mm-hmm. um, through a planeswalker. Instead of through any spells or creatures. Yep, and because there's not much to do to stop that at all. Uh, and then minus X is return target creature card with a convert a mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. Uh, that creature is a vampire in addition to its other types. The vampire p- part might be very um, irrelevant, especially come rotation, because all of the vampires from uh, Ixalan are going to be gone. But the Ability to return a creature card with converted mana cost X when it comes in as a four mana planeswalker, you can get a four mana creature back. And might I say, there are a lot of good four mana and below creatures in this in this standard, like a lot, like a lot, a lot, like a lot, a lot um, that don't see play as much um, due to the lack of retainability, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, especially if we're comparing Nahiri and Soren, I think Soren is way better. Um, oh, definitely, he's a rare. She's an uncommon, so that's the way you would ex- you'd hope it was. I guess it's fair, but also uh, I think that they are going to be, as far as playability, Soren in standard will really depend on where White goes because Black is very control based right now. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, but I mean, I guess you could make the Mono White into a, a Orzov deck too. But you know. Yeah. Do you have any more cards you want to go over? Um, I think I'm just about good. I kind of wanted to talk about Tolsmere, but also I think we can save that for Tuesday. I think um, role reversal is very, very mad. It's not going to be that great because all the strategies relying on it would rely on you having or on yeah. your opponent having that exact same permanent type. I guess it maybe lands, but also why? You having bad cards. Yeah, but also why? Uh, any other notable cards that we should at least talk about a minute? Um, uh, the new vehicle, maybe? New vehicle? Oh, wait, what? Wait, there's a new vehicle? Oh, you haven't heard of Mizium Tank, you say? Oh, wait, there it is. <laughs> so Mizium Tank is one red-red for an artifact vehicle with trample. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell until end of turn, Mizium Tank gets plus one, plus one, and becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. Crew one, um, for those of you not familiar with crew, um, crew is essentially where you can tap a creature to have it hop in this vehicle, and then this vehicle becomes a creature anyway. When you tap the creature, it has to have power equal to or more than whatever the crew cost is, so in this case, crew one. Also, creatures can... Um, you can use multiple creatures to crew a vehicle. Yes, that too. So I'm interested in Mizium Tank, because I think it's going to fit well into some decks that are already around. I think Reclamation might want it. True. Um, Acuity might go Jeskai to run it because you're casting stuff on, at instant speed already. So I, I, I just think it could change up the meta just a little bit. I don't think it's you know going to be a groundbreaking card, but I do think that it could shake up some of the metas, some meta a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to Aristocrats, uh, you were talking about way earlier, I know, but uh, Mayhem Devil's also here. The issue with it right now being um, we don't have a great sack outlet. Mm-hmm. We have the Priest of the Gods, but that has to tap. We don't have any ones that can do it instant speed and without tapping and multiple times a turn, which really puts a damper on it. We'll see if we get any before the end of this. And it's uh, three mana, which is not where the Aristocrats deck wants to be. I guess that's um, fair. But Judith. Also... You play Judith at three mana, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, notable cards... Neheb's not very notable at all. Oh, something that's kind of notable that hasn't been spoiled yet. Um, somebody found artwork, and I don't remember where, but I read up on it, and it's of Eternalized Amonkhet Gods. So the Eternalized Amonkhet Gods were confirmed, by the way. I Well, I mean, they were an official artwork. I know that much. So oh, um, it's confirmed that they're, they will be getting cards in the set. That is very interesting. Wizards has released products with their names on it. I'm excited for them. Um, posters. So it would be it's it's 95 percent confirmed that we are going to be get getting eternalized gods. What's interesting, um, and correct me if I'm wrong in this new information, we didn't see Hazaret. We did not because Hazaret did not die last time around. Well, I thought it'd be interesting if uh, Bolas had gone back and killed Hazaret. That's basically what I thought the story was going to wrap up with. Mm-hmm. Um, no, Hazaret is still alive, very much um, fighting with Amonkhet. Here's a problem: we. This is why it pays to be involved in the lore. I don't believe we're getting a Hazaret card purely because Hazaret um, 
isn't dead, and Lazotep is the only reason that the Eternals can apparently travel through the like travel to Ravnica through the Interplanar Bridge. Is the fact that they're not like that they are coded in Lazotep. So that means we probably won't be seeing the other gods as well, the insect gods. Yeah. We will not be seeing the insect gods. Uh, Scorpion god is dead, so That's we could true. see Scorpion god, but I don't think we're going to be seeing um, Hazaret, Scarab god, or Locust god. And frankly, I just don't think there's the design space to fit seven gods into one set. No, not with all these planeswalkers. Um, and I definitely don't know if they'll be great or not. They might only be rares instead of mythics because this is a set focusing on planeswalkers, not on the uh, creatures. Speaking of, that I'm thinking about it. What mythic creatures have we seen? Or mythic non-planeswalkers have we seen? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe any. I was thinking the same thing. Um, I'm clicking through them right now to see if I can find any. Um, we might be wrong on this, but I, th I don't think we have seen any yet. Um, it'll be interesting to see if we do. If we don't, I'm going to be a bit disappointed that they focused so much on only giving the Planeswalkers that uh, status. Especially with I think some do in common and like rare. When Jace, they clearly probably wanted to put it mythic. He's probably going to play a pretty big role in the story just because he's Jace. Okay. Oh. We've seen Niv-Mizzet, but Niv-Mizzet Reborn is a mythic. Niv-Mizzet Reborn is a mythic? Okay. Well, oh, and we have the Apex Hyper, which is the one that proliferates twice. Never mind. Okay, yeah, so we have some mythics. Who um, do you think is going to kill Bolas? I think it's going to be Liliana, based on the trailer. I disagree. I think it's going to be Gideon. All right. And uh, because of the Black Blade. You want to put dinner on it when I get back in town? Dinner? Fine, you heard it here. Dinner's on it. I think Vivian's also gonna miss her bow shot. Oh, Vivian's gonna die. Vivian's gonna die. I um I don't remember who said this. I I heard that I watched a video and somebody predicted that Vivian was going to miss their bow shot, and Bolus was gonna kill Vivian first. I would not doubt that. Vivian's gonna die. Um, I guess because we brought her up, we can bring up her card. She's a um, rare planeswalker, uh, which actually kind of says something here. Vivian, Champion of the Wild, she's one green, two generic, and has four starting loyalty. Her static is you may cast creature cards as though they had flash. Her plus one is until end of turn, up to uh, up to one target creature gains Vigilance and Reach. Until the end of until your next turn, rather. And then her minus two is look at the top three cards of your library, exile one of them face down, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. For as long as it remains exiled, you may look at this card and you may cast it if it's a creature card. Honestly, don't think she's bad at all. She might actually uh, see some play if, especially uh, especially over her other uh, other planeswalker form. She doesn't have that on any ultimate that's going to be amazing, but. Uh, that plus one isn't bad, and that minus two is actually pretty good for the, what it wants to do and the static ability. Um, I think she's good. I think like, the static ability is right where you want it at this point. Yes. The plus one, it's fine. Giving something vigilance and then allowing it to uh, you know, block a flyer, which isn't super relevant standard right now, but I do think... you know, Drake's? The Phoenix? Vigilance... Um, uh, Phoenix both, has kind of dropped off. Both like Phoenixes, as uh, Arclight Phoenix, Rekindling and Arclight. Yeah, I was thinking of Arclight. Rekindling's kind of dropped off. Rekindling um, was played in the Gruul, just saying, and the Mono Red. Um, the minus two isn't 
isn't anything for me to be excited about, especially since we have a Vivian that already does it. I think this one does better with the Flash, which is why I think it's a great ability. Anyways, do you have any more cards now at this point? Um, you know what? If we're going to go with Vivian, then let's talk about... Let's talk about Soren, the single combat. Soren versus Nahiri. Each player chooses a three, it's three white-white sorcery. Each each player chooses a creature or planeswalker they control, then sacrifices the rest. Players can't cast creatures or planeswalker spells until the end of your next turn. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of this. I think no. it, I think cleansing Nova is better just because it shuts you off for a turn as well. I think it could see play to replace cleansing Nova and maybe the uh, in the control decks. But it I'm, would be way better than Cleansing Nova if it was ye, each opponent uses a creature or planeswalker they can, they don't they control and then sacrifices the rest yeah. and then because then you could use this as a end game card and use it to end the game which would make make way more sense. Yeah, and I, also I, it's the until the end of your next turn instead of until your next turn. Yep, and it's at the end so step. It cuts you off for two turns and shuts them off for one is the downside here. It's kind of like the um, the last stand effects that we saw in Almonket where you had to tap out and then you couldn't untap. Yeah. So I, I just don't... I think single combat is going to get a lot of attention, but I don't think it's going to be great. Um, the if big anything thing else, it's going to see attention for story-wise as well. The big thing that I've been hearing is like it works really well with the new uh, Teferi, but then you have to sack anything else that isn't the new Teferi, so. Um, any more cards? Uh, do you have any more? Because I have one more. I have zero more that I can think of off the top of my head. I'll keep looking while you talk, talk though. Since we brought up, um, since we brought up the Super Friends deck last week, I think we need to bring up a Johnny this week. I guess that's fair. Actually, you know what? That's fair. Um, so there's a John. This is a Johnny the Great Hearted. Two green, white, legendary planeswalker Johnny creatures you control have vigilance. Plus one, you gain three life. Minus two, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each planeswalker or you control. Very good for super friends. Yeah. Um, I think the big thing is um, the big thing is for me that. I want a Johnny, and I want Bolas in a Super Friends deck. And that's not going to happen. No. Then you have to spend all five colors, and that's just too risky. So I do not even, think... Even with this mana base, it's too risky. I do not think, unless we get some other ways to make, you know, a five-color mana... A five-color deck safer, I think... Um, I, I just think we're, we've seen... We're not going to see a Planeswalker deck like a Super Friends deck show up in standard... The lack of cards that we've seen supporting it is very disappointing. Um, I'm hoping that we get a mythic card that's kind of like uh, Call of the Gatewatch. Uh, if we were in Oath of the Gatewatch time period with this set, we would have a Super Friends deck guaranteed. Oh my goodness. If the, there was a small brand Super Friends deck at that time, so... Yeah. And Marty's Super Friends even. If all of the Oaths were still legal... we'd The be... Oaths and Call of the Gatewatch it need to be legal, in other words... Well, I think Ignite the Beacon is close enough to call the Gatewatch, in my opinion. Eh. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, also, update, Bannon Weaver has just gotten involved in Lucas and I's bet. I mean, Bannon. only kind of. He hasn't confirmed his position yet. Uh, the first thing he said was, uh, does Bulls die? Are we sure Bulls dies? So I'm going to take that as, Bannon, you're in on this bet. If ben, if Nico Bolas wins, Lucas and I buy Ben and dinner. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, we'll have to next week. <laughs> my personal opinion is that Bolas's story is used up at this point, and he wanted to be the big bad, but they're gonna find somebody else too at this point. Um, yep. Kind of like how Thanos Thanos has used up his storyline. If you're hyped for Infinity War, only a couple weeks left, guys. Let's do this. Anyone want to watch a Marvel marathon? Um, I do have one more card because we have to talk about it because it is a member of the Gatewatch. We're skipping a couple members of the Gatewatch, but they're the less important ones. Um, but Jace. Oh, my goodness. So disappointing. So disappointing. Um, honestly, the only note, upside I noticed was that pet, uh, petitioners uh, from – are they in guilds or RNA? RNA, I think. They're in RNA. Um so let me find Jace. There he is, Wilder of Mysteries. His static is, or he's first off, he's a four mana planeswalker with three islands and one generic mana. He's the triple four. Blue immediately throw you off. The triple blue immediately throws me off, both look wise and also just. <laughs> it, you, I mean, there's mono blue tempo, which wouldn't want to play this anyways. You'd be playing this deck card in a mono blue deck, but it's for loyalty. Its static ability is if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game instead. Um, and that is a waste of an ability only because of the ultimate. The plus one is target player puts the top two cards of, of their library into the graveyard and draw a card. That's decent, actually. That's a thought scour. Mm -hmm. uh, which, to be fair... Thoughtscour, decent. Um, didn't play in standard is the problem. Yeah, but that was standard Thoughtscour's time. Right now, I think that could see play okay. for that effect. But the three blue, again, it's not going to see play in any current decks. Um, if it was one blue and three generic, I think it could see more play. Or even two and two. Mm -hmm. um, the minus eight is draw seven cards, then if your library has no cards in it, you win the game. Uh, repetitive of the static ability. I hate it. It's dumb. <laughs> oh, my God. The good news is petitioners, uh, which are the mill, uh, or what are they? They're not aristocrats. They're advisors, right? Yeah. Um, if you don't know what they do exactly, let me pull them up real quick. They're, uh, what is their first part? It's like precinct petitioners. It's pretty much just mill for every planeswalker or every other one of these cards you control. Um, in a sense. Okay, persistent partitioners. Um, and what they do is the they you can pay one to tap it to target, and it's a two mana card, one generic, one blue, and it's a creature, one three, human advisor. Um, pay one, tap it. Target player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard, and then tap four untapped advisors you control. Target player puts the top twelve cards of their library into the graveyard, and a deck can have any number of cards named it. That's the only kind of deck I can see this being, and I don't think it'll be a good deck. I think it's going to be a wacky wincon deck or a jank deck, um, with Jace being in it as another wincon, as your wincon. Because the thing is with partitioners, which most people were looking at to mill the other opponent, because of course, why wouldn't you mill yourself? But you can mill yourself with the advisors. It's just not very 
useful. And you can have any number of them, but again, it's just too unreliable, I guess. If you don't yeah. hit that, if you hit that Jace, if you hit all of your Jaces, and then you're like, oh, well, what am I going to do? I have all of my win cons in my graveyard. You can, I guess, start milling your opponent, but at that point, it's going to be too late. Yeah, I just don't see it. Petitioner is going to see play on its own, and it's not going to see play with Jace. Agreed. Um, okay. I think that's all I have. I was ready to talk about. Are you good to go? Um, for the rest of the, uh, the podcast, I have a couple, one more, two more things, technically speaking. Do it. Um, my first thing is the win con, the turn two win con. So it's four mana. It's not going to see play, but it's breeding pool, shock yourself, land where else, past turn. Turn two, you get the neoform doing however much mana you want to do. You get the incubation druid with the one with counter on it. Uh, you play a blood crypt untapped, play Samet sprint onto the incubation druid to tap it for mana. Stony Strength onto the Incubation Druid to tap it for more mana. Um, and then Stony Strength again to tap it for more mana, because you can tap it for any kind of mana that you mm-hmm. can produce with lands, which is really great, because you can tap it for the black mana and mm-hmm. the red mana. And then Bolus' Citadel, you play, and Bolus' Citadel, we didn't talk about it, but it's a legendary artifact that's three generic and three black mana. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play the top card of your library if you cast a spell, and then if you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to its converted mana cost rather than pay its mana cost. You can pay 10 to sacrifice 10 permanents, non-land permanents, and each opponent loses 10 life. And then you play Depose, Dispose, Deploy, but mostly use Deploy to create two 1-1 one, one art, colorless artifact uh, creature tokens with flying, then you gain one life for each creature you control. Uh, you do that four times. And then play Mayhem Devil, which whenever a player sacrifices a creature, Mayhem Devil deals one damage to any target. You, you get the point. You win the game turn two with the Bulls of Citadel, basically. Unlikely, not going to happen. But I just thought people would like to know. It's a pretty funny combo. But the more likely one to happen, not saying it is likely to happen, but the more likely the one to happen, and one that um, people might try to play around or just play with because it's already basically a deck, um, is an Azette deck. And it revolves around Rawl, which we didn't talk about either. And the Rawl is Storm Conduit. Rawl Storm Conduit. He's two generic, an island, and a mountain. Uh, legendary Planeswalker Rawl with four loyalty starting. And whenever you cast, uh, co- cast a copy of an, of an instant of sorcery, um, cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, uh, Rawl deals one. one damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. Uh, yeah, plus two, scry one, minus two. Uh, whenever you cast your next uh, instant sorcery spell this turn, copy that instant sorcery spell. You made two new targets with the copy. So basically, plays it with himself pretty well. Yeah. Four mana, four <laughs> Phrasing. for a four mana walker is yeah. fine. So step one is have him out. Step two for this infinite. This is an infinite combo, dam- by the way, with the damage win con on the raw. Step two is to cast any cheap spell holding priority. So. Opt, shock, any one mana spell that you can hold priority for. Um, I guess low mana also would include dis- uh, discovery or the other one on that one. Step three is to cast expansion, targeting your cheap spell and keep holding priority. So expansion is from uh, RNA or guilds? I think guilds. 
Uh, guild. Definitely guilds. It's a Z, right? Um, and you target. You cast ex, uh, expansion, which copies target spell, and you copy your low mana spell. Uh, but before that resolves, you cast a second expansion targeting your first expansion, uh, which is the copying spell. Which is janky. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a really weird interaction that people that really didn't have a use until now. But with Raw, step five is let expansion two resolve, targeting the original expansion with the copy you create, and then Raw pings, and you keep copying until your opponent is dead. Really weird interactions, but uh, it's still something that could could happen, especially because Azette is already a deck that sees play, and Raw is probably going to go into that deck. The important part is to remember that you need to hold priority the entire time. Yes, if you pass priority at all, this just doesn't work. And also, if they if they they can counter the third one, um, they can technically counter the, the second one after you cast the third one. Doesn't matter. But uh, early on, against any other deck other than control, you basically have a guaranteed win if you have this. But don't rely on having these cards in hand. Just something that you should know about that it's exists. Jinx. Verdict. Jank. Yeah. All right. That's all I have. That's all I got too. So, um, thank you for listening, spending an hour listening to us rant. Um, or more, I don't know. Um, my name is Will Hopkins. You can listen to me on Metagame Mondays with Bannon Weaver and Rodrigo Gallegos and Time Limit, Time Limit Limited every Tuesday with my good friend Lucas Duffy. And, um, Lucas, where can the people hear you? Uh, well, right now, during standard uh, sit-downs on Saturday, of course, you've made it to the end of this one. You hopefully you've listened to the first one. You will never hear me on standard sit-downs. You'll always hear Will on standard sit-downs, as well as myself. Um, as of right now, those are the only two that are being recorded. But in the future, when they start being recorded, you will hear me on Wacky WinCon Wednesdays, as well as uh, FNM, which is Friday Not Magic. The only one neither of us are participating in, I guess, is... Oh, and Tuesday, uh, Time Limited Tuesdays. Can't forget about that one. That's the one that might be recorded next. Um, has the highest chance to, at least. Um, it better, because we left for next for Time Limited Limited. So. We have a lot to talk about for Time Limited Limited. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if you're interested in hearing any other podcasts that we have, we have Wizards This Week on Sundays with Bannon Weaver jake westwood and josh craig they will run down what's been going on in the world of magic outside of you know metagames standard all that good stuff there it's just a podcast where they get to talk about magic as a whole Mm -hmm. um you can also listen to popper thoughts if you're a fan of popper on thursdays i believe with jake westwood and rodrigo gallegos molena it is thursdays confirmed okay and that's we've gone over all the rest of them because uh, yep. we're and, participating in the rest of them. Yeah, as Lucas mentioned, Friday Not Magic, that's one that's probably not going to get started up for a while, but you can feel free to keep an eye out for that one. Uh, that's just going to be all six of us when we're free um, talking about things going on outside of the world of Magic in our personal lives, maybe. Uh-huh. And maybe playing board games on a stream, which will be uploaded to YouTube. Uh, there's a chance that Friday Not Magic will sometimes not be uh, not be a uh, podcast and instead it will be a video that will go up on Twitch and YouTube. But for now, uh, it's planning on being a podcast. So 
We'll see. Also, I can confirm Bannon is involved in this bet. He isn't saying that nobody dies. Well, he's saying that Bullis doesn't die, but also loses. So, All right. So, without anything else to mention here, I hope you enjoyed the second episode. It will be live, depending on where you're listening. We are going to be live on Spotify, YouTube, as well as uh, Himalaya. All links will be in the YouTube description. Spotify, Spotify. You'll find us on Spotify as Caffeine Overdose uh, and on Himalaya as also Caffeine Overdose. But right. Caffeine Overdose, oh yeah, just Caffeine Overdose. Um, and thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the rest of this one. Uh, hopefully this one will go up today. Uh, if not, I guess it's a Sunday podcast. Whoops. If, most likely on Spotify it might end up going up tomorrow uh, because of the way Spotify works. But listen for it on YouTube and Himalaya every Saturday, and we hope you enjoyed. With that, I'm Will Hopkins. I'm signing off for myself and Lucas Duffy. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Standard Sit-Down. Hope you have a good week, and we'll see you next week. All righty. Peace out, everyone.